0: Hi everyone, welcome to Borderless Sustainability, where we explore the diverse relationship between people, planet, and profit, discover how language, geography, and culture impact sustainability, and ultimately aim to create change through knowledge. My name is Elisa Rivera.
1: And my name is Miguel Fraga.
0: In today's episode, we will have a conversation with Sanjay Nepal the executive director and co-founder of Earth Hacks, an organization that harnesses the power of hackathons to develop student-driven solutions to the climate crisis. We will learn how hackathons work, Sanjana's experience in STEM and sustainability, and how to take the first step in becoming actively engaged in climate crisis solutions. Sanjana Paul is the executive director and co-founder of Earth Hacks, An organization that harnesses the power of hackathons to develop student-driven solutions to the climate crisis. She holds a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and physics and is currently working on engineering problems at NASA. Previously, she worked as a National Science Foundation research program participant in extreme ultraviolet engineering in the Captain Mournay Lab and Joint Institute of Laboratory Astrophysics at the University of Colorado Boulder and as a conservation innovation fellow at conservation x labs
1: so here it is hope you enjoy so welcome sanjana that's an amazing introduction like wow i feel like i'm doing a very am <laughs> meeting like this well i am meeting a wonderful person with a lot of credentials wow i'm really i'm really amazed so thank you so much for joining us today and just taking the time on your busy schedule because you seem like a very very busy person you're so so smart but yeah i'm i'm so honored of having you here how are you doing today
2: Hi Miguel, that was so nice. I was like gushing the the whole time. My mic was muted, so you couldn't hear me going oh, but that was so <laughs> kind of you. I'm the the feeling is very much mutual. It's so exciting that uh, you both started uh, this podcast and you're already gaining so much traction, um, and that you're doing this all by yourself. So I'm very 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 excited to be here. I'm like I just feel so lucky that you guys asked me. So I'm doing very well
1: thank you thank you so much so one of the things that we like to start the podcast I would to like make the conversation easier and start getting to know ourselves uh, more Mm -hmm. is that we want to know how did you Sanjana or when how and when did you start to become more environmentally conscious was it your from your childhood or when you started working so yeah tell us more a little bit tell us more about yourself on that part
2: yeah, no, that's a really good question, you know, because I think that that's one of those questions where when you ask it, the answer changes a little bit every time, you know, because it's, it's one of those things that there might not have just been a single moment. There might have been many moments that led up to sort of uh, an aha or that just sort of influenced your life in some way. So I really think, you know, in terms of environmental consciousness, I always was. Uh, but I, I think that in the later part of um, high school, I was homeschooled. Um, and I was mostly teaching myself at that point. And so I was reading a lot of news, a lot of other stuff like that. And I just kept coming across, um, you know, the environmental issues that we were facing. So I think it kind of just snowballed from there. But what about you guys? When when did you know, this start to become an interest for you and lead you down this journey?
1: So I can start um, for me it was a study abroad program when mm-hmm. I went to Peru, that's when I firsthand saw what sustainability is. I learned mm-hmm. about sustainability. So it was basically through education. And I and I kind of feel bad I wasn't earlier. <laughs> I wish I'd, I knew about this earlier. Uh, what about you, Elisa?
0: So I I, re- I shared that on podcast one, but I will definitely say that it was that one project that we had, Miguel Project Delta at UTEP, uh, where we had to kind of create a um, campus like recycling program. Hmm. So definitely the the whole process of that just enlightened me on like (laughs) what is and is not being done. So definitely that. Um, So I wanted to ask you Sanjana, can you tell us a little bit about how Earth Hacks
2: began, how it started? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it was kind of, um, it was when I was in school. So I studied, um, you know, when I was studying electrical engineering, part of that is that, you know, you learn about hardware, and you also kind of learn about software. But I thought that I wasn't learning enough about software, not the right things. And so I would go to hackathons, you know, to kind of, Um, teach myself the skills that I thought that I needed to know and things like that. And when I would go there, uh, you know, it was amazing to see how many smart people uh, could be convinced to come together and give up their whole weekend just to work on stuff. Right. You know, it was amazing to see how fast projects developed. It was amazing to see how many friendships formed, you know, just what a great sort of community centric educational experience it was. But what was not great was that I kept on seeing that like the problems that were presented at the hackathons, the challenges that we had to work on felt like completely disconnected from any sort of reality and felt completely disconnected from the world that we lived in, felt completely disconnected to any of the problems that I cared about as a human person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would I would wonder that why aren't we harnessing this time-intensive innovation model for perhaps the most time-sensitive problem we've ever faced as a species, which is climate change. And so that that was really the question. And then I uh, gently bullied a few of my friends into starting uh, an organization with me. And it went from there. You know, first, we just had our own environmental hackathon, and we saw that it was possible to get engineering students from non-sustainability backgrounds to care about environmental problems to apply their studies, apply their skills towards those problems. We wanted to help other students do that. And then we started helping other organizations do that as well. And so now we're really, really fortunate to find ourselves in this space where we're sort of building the community of environmental tech. And we're really trying to center environmental justice in the tech space as well, because that's an element that's often left out of both environmental and tech spaces. And it shouldn't be and it can't be if we want to create meaningful climate solutions. So I think we're very fortunate that it's sort of reached the point where it has. But it it kind of started with that frustration.
0: Definitely. That is so neat. And honestly, I was definitely work. Like, it sounds like you started pretty much, you know, how everyone very like a foundation, you made a strong foundation and mm-hmm. like it's definitely taking off. And I see the pit. I see how well you all are doing. That's awesome. Um, and so what drove you to pursue STEM in, in you know, totally like um, what, what's the relationship between
2: STEM and sustainability would, how would you connect them? That's such a good question Um, you know because I think that whenever that's a topic of conversation that I feel comes up a lot when speaking with like my environmental policy friends and like my engineering friends you know like one of my best friends is like a quantum physicist another one is like a health sciences major you know and then I talk to I have a friend who's a lawyer who you know has has (laughs) trouble working zoom sometimes you know (laughs) and so I, I think that there's like that is a is a question that I think like all of us are always thinking about right what's the connection between sustainability and STEM what's connection between sustainability and law, the sustainability and fashion, any field you can think of. Right. And I really always want to say, and I realize this is maybe not helpful or maybe not constructive, but what isn't the connection? You know, environmental problems are everyone's problems. Environmental issues are everything issues, right? You know, no matter what problem you're, you're dealing with in the world today, or you're facing in some way, shape or form, it's connected to the environment, whether that means from, you know, the traditional sense of sustainability coexisting with the biosphere, or whether it means that we are humans and we live in this environment on planet earth and stuff in our built or, you know, natural environment is affecting us. So, um, Again, don't know how helpful that was, but I really think that mm-hmm. the the connections between those two fields are absolutely everything, you know, from the telecommunications technology that we're using to speak to each other from different sides of the country to, um, you know, figuring out what it is that we're going to do after that, after this conversation, what devices that we're going to use after that, where did they come from, how are they manufactured, supply chain considerations, what's powering them, why, what effect does that have? So I think it's inherently intertwined with um every aspect of it. And I honestly just find it really weird that it's not more a part of sort of mainstream education and mainstream conversation to sort of acknowledge that, you know, to have more of that holistic worldview and think about how all of these things are connected.
1: And, you know, it's very it's very interesting that you mentioned all of that connection because um, Elisa and I back in, I don't remember if it was 2017 or 2018, we mm-hmm. organized an eco hackathon. That was mm-hmm. the first hackathon that we did at UTEP. Yes. And it was very... Um, interesting because it was a whole different learning experience for us right. because we I personally never attended hackathon I was mm-hmm. not a computer science or electrical engineering major I mm-hmm. didn't know what to expect so right. um, furthermore um, further less even organized one and one of our officers that we have there um, he was uh, a computer science major mm-hmm. and we had a lot of issues even connecting computer science with sustainability He were like right. how, how how is sustainability related to a hackathon mm-hmm. i mean how can you sustainably hack or sustainably code something and it was something that i was not prepared to answer at that point mm-hmm. because i i didn't know and i remember the hackathon when we did it it was called the eco hackathon back in th- back in that time we had different how many students we had at least i think like 20 30 students that participated
2: mm-hmm. yes.
1: and and it was very interesting because we didn't plan it super technically sure. and probably it's because of our of our lack of technical knowledge on how a hackathon is supposed to be organized but the 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 results were very very interesting i mean all the yeah. solutions they came up because that's that was my understanding at that point that a hackathon is basically finding a solution mm-hmm. through Um, whatever means we have possible through your knowledge right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. one of I think the winner was at least correct me if I'm wrong was this um, group that found a way to do kind of like precious plastic similar to that idea of like recycling plastics to turn them into like um, the filament for 3d printers and that was a very interesting project but um, I don't know if you can help us understand understand a little bit more and that direct relationship between coding a hackathon and that technical um, aspect into sustainability.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. And my dog, as you can hear, is chiming in as well. So he'll be the the guest the guest speaker on this podcast. Um, but hopefully, he'll uh, finish his thoughts soon. So yeah, no, I mean, first that that um, I guess I'll start with the last part. You know, the the correlation directly between like coding and sustainability right so there's this really cool guy uh, at microsoft his name is asim Hussain, and he has developed what he calls kind of like the principles of like green software engineering and that's basically sort of like figuring out how to build carbon friendly applications and figuring out how to have your traditional code you know web infrastructure apps whatever it may be have the least impact on the environment you know use less energy intensive materials to get the same um, effects less energy intensive scripts excuse Me and uh, elements and things like that. So, you know, even if you're truly just building like communications platforms or social media sites, even that has a tie, you know, because that uses real electricity, right? When people are browsing that, the data centers that are behind it powering it. Um, So thinking about it from that perspective is one way. Another way uh, is, uh, you know, sort of the intersection of data and the environment, right? Where we have so much information so, so, so much information in the world, you know? And to the vast majority of people who are not spending all their time hanging out with that information, it's, it's quite tedious to go through it and sort through it and figure out patterns and understand you know, what experts in the field are saying and stuff like that. So data science, data visualization, data communication um, is another huge part uh, you know that's very traditional computer science focused uh, that is directly tied to sustainability because you can do helpful things like identify the calls of different species and audio files you know to help determine how endangered species are doing, uh, to figuring out <clears throat> temperature averages over different years, you know, to figure out where the anomalies are and why, um, stuff like that. And I mean, I, I could go on for like hours. There's, mm-hmm. there's so many different applications just in traditional computer science. But, you know, when uh, you sort of expand the field outside of traditional computer science and you go into STEM um, and figure out, you know, what you can do with just STEM as a general field in a hackathon, then you really get into, you know, this is just sort of an intense period of innovation and problem solving you know, and figuring out how to, for example, reduce plastic waste streams on campus, you know, doesn't have just one solution. It's not just an app, although it could be, you know, it's not just the physical presence of a sorting system, although it could be. It's not just uh, the presence of a communications campaign, which are results at some of our hackathons in which it could be, you know, so as as long as you take sort of that, you um, You focus on what the problem is and not necessarily what form you want the solution to take. Uh, That's, I think, really, really the key to having an inclusive hackathon where people from all backgrounds can come in, because then you open the door to all of those possibilities. You know, because maybe it's something that you never considered. Maybe in some cases, even speaking as an engineer and someone who works as a software developer right now, maybe tech isn't the answer to all of those problems, Mm. right? Sometimes maybe it really, really is, you know, forming connections with people, talking to them. Sometimes it is business. Sometimes it is policy. So, um, yeah, problem-centric, not necessarily. Um, dang i wish i thought of like a cool analogy for this problem centric not necessarily like solution centric approach uh, to hackathon problems is i think kind of the way to to approach it
1: and why do you think hackathons are the right way to do this why do you think that was a specific solution to do uh, to address those problems i mean um, or, I don't know if anyone else now, now I'm confused about what a hackathon is. Like, how would you define a hackathon and how, why did you decide to do hackathons to specialize in hackathons with this organization? I mean, I, it sounds amazing, but like, could you then define a little more why hackathons specifically?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good question because I think that those were questions I was asking when we were setting up the organization. And so we kind of settled at Earth Hacks on saying that a hackathon is just a very, very rapid period of innovation and problem solving that produces solutions or prototypes of solutions at some point. Most of the time, it involves code or some form of STEM practice, but it doesn't have to. That's generally our definition of a hackathon. Traditionally, a hackathon is just a programming contest, nothing else, Um, you know, which, (laughs) which, again, can be wonderful. And we do have purely technical, purely code-focused hackathons, but we don't make that a requirement for all of them. Um, in terms of why we're doing this, um, you know, I'll start by saying that there's no silver bullet solution to climate change or pro- uh, climate problems and hackathons are certainly not the silver bullet solution, even if we, there was one, but it is a solution right They're an untapped form of climate action. Hackathons are happening anyways, right? There's thousands of them that happen every year. You know, even with COVID, I think the number of hackathons that's happened um, from an email that uh, DevPost, which is one of the main hackathon submission platforms, sent out, like increased this year because um, you know they're they're happening online. So if you know people are getting together anyways, if people are working on problems anyways, if they're talking to each other and learning from each other anyways, why not just, you know, get some environmental stuff in there? You know, again, worst case scenario is that people get educated about it. Best case scenario is you're able to develop solutions to localize problems, help organizations that are already working in this field, or maybe develop something totally novel. So it, it really was less um, of a case of why and more of a case of why not. Wow. Wow. <laughs>
0: I mean, and I've been lucky enough to actually participate with Earth Hacks in one hackathon. And I use like DevPost, Post, you know, as you were mentioning, um, which is brilliant and such a great platform, like you were saying. Um, I wanted to ask you. So I've noticed that not everyone that participates in Earth Hacks is necessarily, you know, an engineer or computer science, you know, major or pursuing that in any way, shape or form. Um, So how can non-engineers be involved in hackathons?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think that one that should probably be put on like the FAQ page of of pretty much all of our events and other events. (laughs) The most simple way is really by just showing up you know, by just talking to people about their ideas, you know, about talking to people about environmental problems, how they feel about them forming those personal connections, you know, there is value in that there is value in having this shared human experience about this huge, vast thing that like none of us can comprehend, but on a more pragmatic level, um, you know, again, so many different ways. We actually had a hackathon just last weekend, Vaquita Hacks, which was focused on the Vaquita, which is one of the most critically endangered species in the world. And for that hackathon, we had three categories. We had a traditional hackathon category, tech, science, analytics. We had a legal category, where we asked law students uh, to come, get together in that period of time and draft a white paper to send to policymakers. And we had a communications category where we had people who had no uh, technical background and also probably no legal background come together and try to create and craft compelling narratives and education tools about the vikita to both raise awareness of, excuse <clears> me, <throat> this issue and also kind of translate it to the wider Plight of the biodiversity crisis and human induced extinction. So, I mean, as an organization who does these hackathons, part of that is our responsibility is, is figuring out how people who are not engineers can figure uh, can can participate in these hackathons. It's creating challenges like that and actively inviting them to come participate. Part of it is again that that problem focus, and not necessarily that the solution has to take this form focus. You know, figure out how to streamline e-waste recycling, not figure out how to build an app for e-waste recycling. You know, because um, as then that empowers people to come and bring their unique skill set to it. So, um, you know, basically one, hold us accountable, make sure that we're always making things that are um, open to interpretation, that are welcoming to people from all backgrounds, and two, don't be afraid. Uh, you know, don't be afraid that just because there's the word hack in it, you know, it's going to be an unwelcoming environment. It's going to be full of people who are knee deep in JavaScript and don't know how to talk to you. You know, come come with that mindset of, you know, I have this knowledge. I have the specialized knowledge. I have the specialized skill set and it's worth something and I can solve problems with it. And I mean, that that's really it. You know, I, I kind of don't want to say anything else because there's like no limits on it. You know, the amount of projects, the range of projects that we've seen, like it's stuff I know never could have think uh, thought of you know it's people coming up with correlations between variables and displaying that beautifully it's people coming up with proposals for educational organizations and then someone comes and you know builds them a website and then it's a traditional hackathon project but the real meat of the project or the real tofu of the project is uh, you know in, in the content so like there's there's so 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 much and like you know I would say the sky is the limit but NASA so you know there's no limit space is the limit <laughs> whatever
1: and <laughs> and I don't know if you would agree with me Sanjana um, but conveying that it's such a hard challenge like sure. telling people that you don't have to be an engineer to participate in this these issues it's such a hard challenge and I remember I was very, I'm very proud of when Elisa and I were working in ESW, the, the student chapter at UTEP, um, we had a very diverse set of students, even officers, because we had multimedia journalism students, computer science students, accounting students. One That's of amazing. our offices, uh, officers, she was um, advertise, advertising major, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, um, and one of the motives that we have there, when all of our all of our general meetings, we have them, we will always tell them that you don't have to be an engineer to engineer change. And it's really good. I know, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we we really like to emphasize that, and mm-hmm. even that that officer that I'm telling talking about that she was an advertising major, mm-hmm. she even went with us to Puerto Rico to build a bridge. So she wow. was there with us. She was picking up, picking with us, uh, picking up rocks with us. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a hardcore project. We were like there for a month um, from working from 6 a.m. to 6 Mm -hmm. (laughs) p.m.
2: Yeah, it it was very,
1: it was a very interesting project. It was very hard, but um, it was she, her niche at the organization Mm -hmm. was just communicating to the rest what we were doing. So one of her main tasks was throughout all of our projects, she would take pictures, record. And some individuals may think that, oh, that's such an easy job, but it's not about that. It's how you put everything together and communicate, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's easy for me to say, hey, yeah, we built a bridge. But then she would say like, hey, she will give the background. She will give why we do it. And it's so important that But it was, it's such a hard thing to communicate people like, hey, I mean, you can come to this hackathon, you can come to this organization, just because it has the word hack, or just because it has the name engineer in the name Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're not welcome. And I expect the same in other organizations that do not have the name engineer, just because I am an engineer, I'm I'm pretty sure I have something to add to an accounting organization or a law group, even though I'm not a law student, but I do have my perspectives, uh, that all of us can bring. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that that's that's something that reminded me when you were talking about that. But also, I was thinking you you mentioned that you have, of course, have diversity of of majors and mm-hmm. all of that. But how does it work with? Or, or your hackathons are tailored more towards students? Have you had professional membership? Or how do you address that? Like in someone that has been in the computer science field, electrical engineering um, mm-hmm. for a couple of years, that's not a right. professional with years of experience, can they participate in the hackathons? Or how does that work? You have different categories. And um, I don't know if you can tell us more about how did that work.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, when we started out, it was just student hackathons, right? And student hackathons on campus usually means that mostly students are going to come, you know, undergrad and grad students, you know, so there, there is that, Um, you know, but when we went online, geographic barriers, I think cultural barriers were kind of removed, right? And so everyone could come. So um, usually what tends to happen is that when we work with uh, student organizers at a university, it's mostly students. And when we work with organizations, it's mostly professionals, <laughs> you know, so it's it's mm-hmm. kind of distributed along those lines. Um, and we do mostly targeted outreach to, um, to students because, you know, hackathons are a big part of student culture. You know, it's a really big part of sort of the development that you have as someone who's just sort of starting out and everything. Um, but as we're, you know, continuing, we are increasingly reaching out to professionals who have expressed interest. And this means, you know, professionals like us who are maybe like a year or two out of school School and professionals who have been working for longer than I've been alive. So, uh, (laughs) you know, so it really depends. It's, I think we, um, it's been wonderful, but we didn't expect the amount of different types of folks who would come to online hackathons. I remember we had um, a hackathon with a group of students at UC Berkeley, and uh, in May of 2020, and more People, students and professionals from outside the United States attended that online hackathon than UC Berkeley students. And it was it was a really unexpected and interesting surprise. Like the winning team was from like Brazil and India. And I think it was like a Brazilian postdoc and an Indian student or something like that. You know, and so like, it's all over the place. And so we've been like trying to monitor our demographics because we had a pretty good idea of what it was before. We were just like, you know, it's mostly going to be STEM majors from universities and we're going to try and really appeal to the non-STEM majors as well. And now we're just like, oh my gosh, there's GIS professionals, there's lawyers, there's undergrads, there's high school students, there's postdocs, you know, how do we sort of um, figure out how to resolve all of this? And so it's the best problem to have. So it's really
1: I know. Yeah, that's what I was about (laughs) to say. Like, what a wonderful problem to have. Exactly.
2: Like, oh, no, so many friends. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: So I know, I mean, I can imagine the experiences, the network, the people you've met. It's it's a lot. And I don't want to, like, say pick your favorite, but I'm going to kind of tell you, like, (laughs) from those, you know, which one at least surprised you the most? The one that comes to your mind first, but like made an impact for you.
2: I, I feel like I just short circuited <laughs> like so <laughs> many me- I thought of so many. I this is like, I don't know, it's the hardest question because like I, I think everything that comes out of our hackathons is great because like two years I- ago. Three years ago, this was just a dream, me sitting here with my coffee going, hmm, what if? And now, you know, there are other people actually doing this. So I think that like anything that comes out of it is like the best thing ever. And I think that every participant is like my favorite participant and everyone who attends is wonderful and stuff like that. So I guess really what I'll, I'll say is I'll just say the ones from the most recent hackathon because like there is, I am sorry, there's no way I can choose. <laughs> so, you know, from our most recent hackathon, we had um, a group of people. Uh, on the communications track, none of them were technical people, build a chat bot. Uh, build a chat bot to tell people facts about uh, vaquitas, their habitat, the issues that they're facing, stuff like that. Like it's online and it works. And like, you, it will be online for you to use in like a couple of weeks once we clear it with everyone, but it's the holiday. So, you that's, know. Awesome. so <laughs> and that's, that's amazing. And then, you know, uh, the, the law students at that hackathon, they actually like drafted a white paper. Like they didn't just talk about like policy, like they have a white paper and it's going to go to policymakers in the United Kingdom in January um, so like it's it's real and it's out there and then the science um, students created these amazing visualizations which again are going to go online that really just kind of shed light on this complicated issue all the socio-political factors the geographic extent of the the Vikita domain and you know the the issues that they're facing and everything um, you know so so stuff like that stuff that you know before the hackathon didn't even exist there was no inkling of it you know and then you come out on the other side of that 24 hours and there's something entirely new in the world that you've created and that can actually have an impact on things so you know I think um, using those projects as an example anything that does that that it's just so cool to think that like this this was sort of the um, vessel or I don't know the ship through which this idea had to sail to like become a reality or whatever but anything like that it's absolutely mind-blowing to me.
1: Wow, I mean, if that's just a recent one, I can't imagine like <laughs> all of the other ones. Um, and I was going over your website and I saw that there's so many. I mean, you had a couple yeah. of in in December. Mm-hmm. It's like wow. I mean, I'm so happy and proud of you that it's thriving <laughs> <the> organization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I don't know about you, Lisa, but I just love seeing other sustainability professionals thrive and the organization be successful because that means we're all achieving our goals and we're all going together. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just so happy for you, Sanjana. Um Thank
2: you so much. That's so but,
1: nice. <laughs> thank you. So um, now that we know about Earth Hacks, and of course, I want to get involved more, I, I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to be joining one of the future Earth Hacks. Um, I'm going to be <laughs> the one that we organized. I'm, I'm proud of it, but I'm pretty sure it was not how a hackathon is supposed to be. So I'm, sure I'm excited to participate in one that is well-planned like for like you, because of course, if it's planned with you and everything that I've heard, I mean, it's, awful. it's going to be awesome. So yeah, I'll we'll join probably in the next one or some of the um, other ones. So tell us, Anjana, how can we support our hacks like us or listeners? How, what would you need from us to help you achieve your goals? What's, what's something that we can help you with?
2: Yeah, that is so nice. First, everything you just said. And then secondly, that question. So wonderful. So kind of you to ask. Um, I mean, really come to our hackathons, you know, the best Catherine Hayhoe, uh, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, one of the most like prominent climate science communicators in the world, um, says that the best thing that we can do about climate change is to talk about it. Right, you know, and so hackathons, again, bare minimum, provide a space to talk about this, to educate each other about it, to exchange stories. So first, Come to our hackathons, start a hackathon, get involved in environmental action any way you can. If this is the best way, please let us know. Um, you know, then secondly, we're a small nonprofit organization, uh, you know, and we don't charge any students for any of our services ever. Um, And so to, you know, keep all of our operations running and everything, of course, if you're able to, um, you know, donating is another way to help us keep not the lights on because we're a remote organization, but keep Mm -hmm. all of the online services running so that we can actually have these hackathons. So I mean, those are definitely the, the two main ways is to just get involved
0: you can't see me nodding my head but absolutely like <laughs> just showing up is step number 1. I completely agree with you.
1: Agree agree. Yes. And now I'm getting excited. Mm-hmm. I'm getting comp. I like, I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, I should be in a hackathon right now. Right. <laughs> so uh, where, where do you think it would be the best place? Um, yes. Your website, <laughs> Social media where we can find more information um, about the next ones or how can we get prepared for one or where can we even see like mm-hmm. past projects that have happened in mm-hmm. hackathons? Where, where can we find more information about earth hacks and all of that?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you're already a pro, Miguel, because you mentioned them, our website and social media. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah, on our website, uh, you can sign up for hackathons, you can view past hackathons, you can check out all of our event recaps of past ones. You can also check out our solutions database, which has every project ever created at an EarthHacks event. So if you want to see what's come out of it, uh, you know, hopefully, what they're doing now, stuff like that. You can find all of that to you know keep up to date on announcements and stuff like that. Uh, we're at Earthhacks.org on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we love talking with people on there. You know, so shoot us a message. We always respond. Um, and you can of course also sign up for our newsletter on our website to just kind of be kept in the loop. We provide links to registration and everything. Um, and we also really, you know, a lot of environmental work is necessarily about community. And so, you know, we do also post that all of our friends and partners are doing so that you can get more, um, you know, instead of dipping just a toe into the world of the environment, you can dive right in. Wonderful, wonderful.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So we're wrapping up right now. And um, one of the things that we're going to be doing from now on with all of our awesome interviewees like you, it's asking some questions. One one very important question. So I don't know if you, Elisa, want to break it down to Sanjana about that question.
0: Okay, so for our listeners, we'd like to ask you, uh, Sanjana, which s- sustainability-related book do you think
2: everyone should read? And I have to say just one because I thought of like six. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Suit yourself. You can say all of them, of course. Um.
2: Okay, I'll, okay, here's what we'll do. I'm going to say all six, but everyone who is listening to this commits to reading at least one. Is what we'll is what we'll do to get this like okay. environmental book club started. <laughs> okay, awesome. So there's uh, there's so many both fiction and nonfiction. I know it's it's difficult to read about the realities of this for some people, and we prefer to process it through fiction. And there's wonderful options for that. Um, you know, in fiction, Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents by Octavia Butler um, is really really great, and was perhaps not originally intended as a strictly environmental book, but it really is. Dune by Frank Herbert, uh, you know, is amazing. Um, the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer, uh, all different types of science fiction. I really like science fiction. Sorry, but they're <laughs> wonderful. Um, you know, in in terms of nonfiction, um, I'm currently actually finishing All We Can Save, uh, which is an anthology of, of um, poems and essays. It was edited by Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, Dr. Catherine uh, Wilkinson, um, and it's it's really uplifting and it's really wonderful um, to. To see how many people are involved in this work and and hear their personal thoughts as well, um, the sixth extinction by Elizabeth Colbert uh, is a very harsh but beautifully written wake up call, um, and I highly highly recommend it. Um, and then again, this might not originally be uh, interpreted as an environmental book, but reimagining capitalism in a world on fire uh, by Rebecca Henderson um she raises a lot of very very interesting points and I think that for in in the modern society we live in it's a very helpful perspective
0: wonderful yeah. well, thank you thank you so much and uh well to close off this podcast I just want to thank you again Sanjana so much thank you guys <laughs> you're so awesome for sharing your time and knowledge with us I know our current and future listeners will appreciate definitely hearing about these hackathons and what the hackathons role in sustainability. So thank you once again.
2: Yeah, thank you guys so much. This was uh, first just so much fun hanging out with you. Uh, And again, I really, really appreciate and I feel so honored that you invited me. So thank you so much.